Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. Well, welcome to tonight. It is Monday night again, and this is Jody Burkeen with the Man Up God's Way podcast. Guys, we're here to uh, help you get along in this Christian life to the best of our ability. If you get an opportunity, make sure that you share this podcast tonight with uh, your friends and your family on your social media. Just allow us to get out to reach more and more people. We have over 100,000 downloads of our podcast so far, and we just need to reach a, a couple billion more if you could. So we'd love to to reach as many people as possible. So make sure you like, share, and send this to all your friends and family. Tomorrow morning, you'll be able to get this uh, podcast as well on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, you'll also see it on Spotify, as well as our own pl- platform called Podomatic. Uh, we'd love for you to subscribe and, and follow us there. So uh, tonight, as usual, I got my host here with me, Mr. Ben Neely. How you doing, brother? Doing good. Good, good. to see you. Glad you're here, man. a couple man. of weeks. It has been. It's been tough, yeah, man. I missed it. Yeah, I have too, man. We uh, we took a couple of weeks off just to uh, get out, and I had uh, I graduated, actually. Um, got, I'm educated now. Yeah, you're not so. supposed to bring that up. <laughs> I'm, I'm bragging, dude. I'm bragging, dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, congratulations, dude. I know you've worked hard. Well, thanks it's hard for you with your schedule and everything going on in your life, kids and all that. So I know it hasn't been easy. I know there's been many Tuesday nights where I've tried to call you and gotten the, I'm doing school. I'm in class. And I forget every Tuesday, <laughs> every Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. I had an awesome program. I went, uh, I went to Williamson college, um, out of Franklin, Tennessee, and they have this amazing program that allowed me to come in. And what was cool about it is each class is, uh, so they would take one class and it would be five weeks, uh, for four hours each week. And so I would go every Tuesday night from six to 10. And so I would finish that class up in five weeks. That's, you know, learning, writing papers, all of that kind of stuff. And then I would start the next class, then the, the sixth week. And it just worked out perfect with my pro with my uh, schedule. Like you said, I meant, um, and so I, uh, I finished it in about two and a half years. I started during COVID and, and got done just a, a, a little bit under two and a half years and, and God bless me, man. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Now you start your master's. I start my master's Thursday night. Yeah. So yeah, I start that. That's on Thursday night. So yeah, I moved it to Thursday nights, which it's not a big deal, but man, it just kind of, I had a, I had a routine and then all of a right. sudden that routine's gone, but, uh, it'll, it'll work out. We'll yeah. just pop over a couple of nights and now I got Tuesday nights off. So, so yeah, I'm starting my master's in theology and, uh, I'm really excited about that. So it'll be, it'll be good. It'd be good for, you know, it's funny. I was, uh, describing, cause I had one of my professors ask me, why did you, um, why did, why did you go uh, to school, back to school? You know, cause I'm a, I'm a lead pastor of a church. Uh, I used to own a company and I've never needed uh, uh, school or I've never needed a degree. I should say I didn't need school either. Cause I found that out in 1980s yeah. when I flunked out. Um, but I, I had this analogy is like, I know how to change the tires on my car. I can change the brakes and I can change the oil and I can put windshield wiper foot. I can even change my wiper blades. And, um, I know a lot about theology. I know a lot about my Bible. I've been studying, 
but I didn't know how to get into the engine and the transmission. And I don't know how to do all that kind of yeah. stuff. And that's what school did for me. It took me to a different place than, you know, just my topical or uh, sometimes deep research, depending on the topic or something like that. It, it really just brought everything together for yeah. me. So it was, yeah, great. I've noticed a lot uh, with the, with your knowledge of the history. Yeah. What's going on at the time. Yeah. Why there's, you know, there's verses in the Bible, like turn the other cheek that, that go back to like something that the Romans were doing. Right. And that was a saying that they did and what it meant. Right. That, that's where I notice it the most with you is like the history uh, and some of the things that you talk about now that you weren't talking about before yeah. or that you had to study hard before and try to memorize before. Right. You know, you yeah. preached. So yeah, it, it it's been huge. And man, I just I'm just glad to to have gotten it done and got to put my cap on and my 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 gown on and got to walk uh Friday with uh, a yeah, bunch of awesome a bunch of kids. <laughs> like I, are I was, you the only uh, old, uh, old one? Well, there was another lady that was my age yeah. and uh she and I like high-fived each other yeah. and uh, it was fun. So it was cool just to see all these kids and during class, which was really cool, was, uh, you know, the professor and I would typically be the same age. So all of a sudden he and I would be conversing and we'd be talking about stuff. And then all of a sudden he'd go, well, you know, what is it like in the pastor's world? You know, some whatever we're studying or talking. The next thing you know, I'm teaching a class, you know, because you give a pastor an open mic, you know, <laughs> yeah. or an open Zoom class. And uh, next thing I know, I'm talking way more than I should have been. Well, so. just so you know, dude, I'm, you know, I, I love you to death and I'm your friend, but when I first heard you were going to degree, I said, no way, <laughs> not because you couldn't. Right. I'm like, there is no way he has time uh, or is going to, and dude, I'm, I'm proud of you. Well, thank I, you. I, think I appreciate you did a great that. job. So thank it's, you. It's good it, to see that you, uh, it's good to see that you stuck it out to the end that you got your degree and we'll see what happens next. Man. It was all God, man. It was kind of yeah. cool because, uh, you know, it was, it was one of those things that, um, you know, with, with age and, you know, wisdom, you know, just, you just normally get wisdom from yeah. age, you know, yeah. you don't have to do a whole lot to get a lot of wisdom, but, um, it made sense to me, you know, school yeah. like 18, 19, 20 years old. It did not make sense to me at all. I had no clue what I was doing. And this time it was so much easier and so right. much just, it was sweet. So, yeah. so thanks anyway, even though I was bragging on myself. Yeah. Even though you brought it up. <laughs> Heck yeah. I'm educated. Yeah. Now. So I got, got my degree and, uh, I was telling, uh, my wife nan she uh she said something saturday morning and uh she was like oh so we woke up and i'm making coffee and uh getting breakfast for the kids and all that and she was like man you're you're a college graduate and i was like well nothing's really changed because i'm in the back i'm in the room in the kennel cleaning up dog poop with the dog poop and you know taking kids to soccer and making breakfast and yeah, so the degree didn't really help me much. Yeah, I want to know situation. what I want to know what Nan was thinking in that moment, watching you graduate. Oh, she had, like she had yeah. to have literally first of all proud. Yeah, so I don't mean so this proud. thing, but she had to have thought to herself, "Hell has frozen." Yeah, exactly. Like the well, first time it was when she found out you were called to right. be a pastor, right? right? And now this, yeah. But yeah, that's great. So what's even crazier was my wife. Or my, not my wife, but my mother-in-law. Yeah. So my mother-in-law's there. And so really quick story, and then we'll get, uh, I'm really excited about our guest tonight. Um, but a uh, really quick story there. She, uh, she came, came with us. And, you know, the story behind that is she hated my guts when I first met Nan. 
like yeah. did not like me at all. And I wouldn't say hated my guts, but I would definitely wasn't good enough for her daughter. And then when I quit college and joined the military, um, I really wasn't, you know, worthy of her. But I kid you not, the second that I got married, man, she put me on a pedestal, like yeah. changed everything changed. And, um, you know, she was there for graduation and she came up to me and she said, uh, I knew eventually you would do it. And I'm so proud of you. Yeah, like that just, good. that tore me up. So yeah. that was good. But so anyway, um, uh, thank you. Thank you again. Uh, thank you for my church. I, I hope they're listening and they just know how much I, they blessed me by uh, allowing me to do that and, to support me and praying for me. And it was really cool. So, uh, but Tonight, I'm excited. Uh, we've got a really, really uh, exciting guest here tonight uh, that I hope if if you're listening and you'll just tune in, I think the message that he has uh, behind his story uh, will probably change your life. And it seems to be doing that all across uh, the nation right now. And I'm very excited to um, uh, give you guys Adam Davis. Adam Davis, how you doing, brother? Jody, thank you so much, brother, for having me. I appreciate y'all for giving me an opportunity to uh, to share a little bit of my story with you. Well, we're we're really excited about having you here, and um, uh, and can't wait to to get dive into your story. And uh, it's been a while. We were trying to get you on here for a little bit, and finally got you on here. And uh, before we get into your book, uh, you've written a yep. book. It's called Unconquered. Um, and uh, for those who are listening, you got to listen through. We're going to give one away later on uh, tonight. So make sure that you're listening up uh, for that giveaway, just so you know. Uh, but why don't you go ahead and uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit of your testimony? Uh, mm-hmm. What I like to do a lot of times from our, our our guests is just to hear, you know, their side of the story. We always, Ben and I always talk about the Saul side and the Paul side of your testimony. There's that there's that moment where you're out killing Christians and then all of a sudden you have your Damascus road. And the next thing you know, you're trying to point everybody back to Jesus. So, yeah. uh, you know, start back as far as you want. You know, my testimony starts at 12 and I usually work from there. Um, you know, start, start, start wherever and just share your, your um, story with us. Well, it begins when I was a little bitty boy, uh, deep South Alabama, uh, my parents divorced, and I was left in the care of a of an older male neighbor who was no family member, no relation. I always like to point that out. Um, and you know, he started off. It started off from what I can remember, normal, playing outside and watching TV shows, watching cartoons, and uh, feeding me and all those good things. And and then it turned one day um into putting a vhs in and and it was what i know as an adult to be pornography and i remember some some pretty vivid details about that um and then it wasn't long i don't remember specific time frames but it eventually became where everything that he saw going on on video he began to do to me and uh and that went on for some time and that was probably my first encounter with fear mm. um and it was more along the lines of if you talk about this you tell anybody about this you know i'm gonna blah 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 because he knew where i lived and wherever i didn't say again sorry about that okay um and then 
so I rocked on and, and then eventually they moved away or whatever. And, um, while my, one of my parents remarried, she remarried a, a Pentecostal pastor. So I grew up going to church. I always like to say jokingly going to church 12 or 13 days a week. <laughs> we were there <laughs> right, all the time, exactly. every time the doors were open, a lot of times when they weren't. And, um, uh, I grew up in church and I mean, I've sat in some incredible services and I've heard incredible teaching. Um, but it happened again at 15 when I was left in the care of one of the leaders in the church who was a married woman with children. And I was hard to see, uh, then like I see it now, incredibly deceived and manipulated. You know, I was told I was part of God's plan for her healing. And it started off with being, um, more along the lines of, you know, I'm 15 and this is a, woman in her thirties, who's a leader of the church. And, and it turned into a sexual relationship that lasted a, roughly a year, I guess. And, um, I contacted my dad one night, I locked my keys in my truck. I was going to a different church. I was trying to get away from all that. And I was going to another church and just so happened to lock my keys in my truck. My dad came to help me and I said, Hey, I need to talk to you. I need help. Mm-hmm. And I told him what was going on. And his first concern was to help me and protect me and to get me out of that situation. Uh, but I was married two years later, less than two years later at 18. Wow. And, uh, to ruin the whole story, we're still married this year be 23 years. Oh, Uh, wow. And that is, we were married against all odds and which I've told her about everything that happened uh, as a teenager, as a kid, but neither one of us really knew. I really didn't know how it affected me and my perspective of relationships healthy relationships, um, how it affected my view of my heavenly father of church, um, trust. I mean, intimacy, you name it. it I was, I was a mess. Oh, I could imagine. And, and I, I never told other than telling her about it before we got married. I never talked about anything from when I was a little boy. I'd held that in for a long time and I didn't really start letting God do surgery on me from the inside out. Um, I started that process probably around oh, late Oh three or early Oh four, right before our first son was born. And it was because I felt something really nasty inside mm-hmm. and, and, and it, I didn't like what I felt. It was, it was pure hate. It was bitterness. It was resentment. It was unforgiveness. It was just nasty. And I wanted to be like, with everything in me, I wanted to be a good dad. Right. And I knew that it was not going to be possible for me to be a good dad with whatever this was. And so I started this process of forgiveness, which for me was the first step, uh, in the journey of healing. And, uh, I didn't feel any different. So I like to believe right. that forgiveness is, uh, is an act of obedience that we take in faith and you're not going to feel any different. I didn't, I still hated them. Uh, after the first, six or 12 or 20 times. I said, I forgive them until I got to the point to where I can sit here today and say, thank you for what you did to me. Cause I wouldn't be where I am without the pain that I experienced. Praise God. And, um, so we were married and we had, you know, our first child three or four years later. And then our second child came along. My daughter came along a couple of years after that. And then our third child came along in 09. And, uh, later that year I raised my right hand and, we'd been part of a church plant and, uh, 
a small, you know, we're setting up and tearing down in theaters and things of that nature and, and love being a part of it. And I remember I've been, uh, I've been in pest control because the first probably 10 years of, of my, you know, life as an adult and being married, I went job to job, to job, to job, to job. Cause I was seeking fulfillment in jobs and I right. didn't understand why I was seeking fulfillment there instead of working on this and here. And I'd been hired as a service manager for a pest control company and was fired from that job on my son's birthday, my oldest son's birthday. Mm. And I had to go home and tell my wife, Hey, I don't have any, I don't have a job anymore. And here she is pregnant with our third child and she's, she can't work at the time. And so I'm doing odd and end work and, you know, cleaning cars or cutting grass or really whatever I can do. My pastor and one of the church leaders sat me down one day and they were like, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I've always felt called to pastor. I've always felt called to pastor, you know? And, and he said, what do you really, really want to do? And I kept thinking, what does he want me to say? <laughs> you know, what, what is there a right or wrong answer? And I said, you know, I really want to be a cop. I tried to be in the military, tried to join the military for five years. And they wouldn't have me because of medical issues. And I was permanently disqualified. And that was the first dream I probably buried. And I really want to be a cop. And, and I remember telling me, you know, hey, and I'm not going to say the word, but I'll say something that rhymes with it. He said, you need to grow some walls. <laughs> and go after what you want to do. You can say that on and, here. We're good, we're good with that. <laughs> and and so I did. I grew some walls and I became a cop. And I swore my took my oath in September of 09. And I felt like I was pretty squared away. You know, hey, I was checking off all the boxes. We were going to church. I was doing my devotions. Um, I had been bankrupt in my 20s financially and and in every other way. But, you know, hey, things were going good. I was listening to my Christian music, and I had all my stuff. I was squared away, man. And what was not addressed was all this stuff from my childhood and teen years. I was I was going through the motions, but I wasn't surrendering. And I'm right. going to get to that in just a minute. Um, and so we rocked on. I went to police academy, and I had a blast, man. I love policing. I, I love policing. I love the camaraderie. Um, I love being able to save lives. I love confronting evil. I, I loved every part of it. There were some things I didn't like, but the work I did, I enjoyed. Um, uh, but I wasn't prepared for some of the things that I encountered and some of the things that happened in our world that 99% of people will never know about. All you read is headlines. You don't know everything that happens. And, and so I started drinking pretty heavy, right? I was, um, I was unfaithful to my wife. And I was seeking a rush that the job no longer really fulfilled. Uh, I was completely emotionally numb and completely locked down inside. Hard, hard, hard hearted, hard hearted, very cold, very cynical. Um, and I remember, I remember being sent to, uh, to FBI hostage negotiator training and I became a hostage negotiator. So I could talk my way out of both, most anything. Um, and then I could help others. And we had one situation where it was a week long hostage, uh, deal where this guy went onto a school bus and, um, 
I was not the primary negotiator, what agent in charge or none of that. I was just on the scene and I was, a I was one of the secondary negotiators, but, uh, he went onto a school bus and he had been grooming the bus driver and he shot and killed the bus driver and took a little boy off of the, uh, off the bus and took him into an underground bunker that he had prepared. Mm. And, uh, the little boy was five years old and, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. And, um, I had a little boy at home at the time mm. who was pretty close to five who had beautiful blonde hair and beautiful blue eyes. And, and at one point when I was about five, I had hair and it was blonde <laughs> and my eyes were still blue. And, and I remember looking, you know, sitting there watching the video at night because we had a drop phone that went in. He thought it was just a phone. He could call us and give us demands or whatever. And my job was to watch his behavior and listen in and all this other stuff. And I remember watching this little boy sitting there. And I remember seeing how this man would treat him and talk to him. And and he was, he was going to kill this boy. I mean, it was no no way out. He was using him for leverage, but I'm, I have like zero doubt in my mind if he would have gone on any longer before, uh, FBI HRT made entry and, and got the boy out and killed him, uh, that he would have hurt the boy. And he tried to kill cops. He had a pipe bomb rigged up in PVC that came above ground that he had rigged up for everybody to talk to him through and try to detonate the bomb. It didn't go off and thank God. And, um, but it took me a little while to realize that I was in a very similar situation. Right. I was being held hostage by the people that had hurt me. And that's what unforgiveness had done. It had, it, you know, un forgiveness really isn't for the offender. It's to set you free from the prison of your past. Yep. And, and the hardest person I've ever forgiven was me looking in the mirror and forgiving me. And, and I was in a really bad spot. And I remember coming home one day and I took my gear off and I'd, dealt with a suicide. A guy took a shotgun and ended his life. And, and then there was a little girl that was raped and, um, it was really bad stuff. And I come home and I took my gear off. I sat down the recliner. I stared at a blank TV. And I remember we had a, in the house we were in at the time, we had this little Island in the kitchen behind, behind me where I was sitting and I can still hear the water running from the sink. And I hear it turn off. And my wife said, and the, in the sweetest voice, she said, uh, Hey baby, how was your day? And I remember with everything in me, just wanting to like, forget about it. I don't, if I talk to you about it, I got to relive it again. That's how, that's right. how I saw it. <laughs> and, and so I just responded with fine. And I was a jerk. I was a jerk. Now we got married at 18 because we could not stop talking. Like that's how we met each other was in class in high school. And we could not stop talking. We talked all the time. And I remember my grandfather, the week before we got married, he said, look, y'all spend time together. The only thing you don't do is sleep in the same house together at night. If you want to get married next Saturday, I'll pay for everything and I'll get you set up an apartment. Right. And, and so he did. And this was my best friend, man. And, and I was completely shutting her out of my life. Mm. 
and I became a cop because I wanted to be like the men that I saw around my dad. They were good men. My dad's a good man, but these men were special. Like they were, they would go into the worst of situations. They had good families. They had men, they were men of integrity, men of courage, men of good character. And I wanted to be like that. Right. Yes. I wanted the adrenaline rush. I wanted to be able to go fast. I wanted to do all the fun stuff, <laughs> but I wanted to be like those guys, man. Right. I wanted to be like that. And here I was, you know, and I wanted my kids when, when somebody said, what does your daddy do? I didn't want them to say, well, my daddy's a bug man, nothing wrong with it, but I wanted to set a standard for my kids. I wanted them to see, put their little chest out in pride and say, my daddy's a police officer. Right. That's good. And, and here I was, I kind of shut them all out. I was drinking. I, I turned into a monster. I, I mean, completely emotionally numb. So it turned into an argument that night after she said, you know, how was your day? And I said, fine. And she said, when'd you turn in such a jerk? And, uh, so I grabbed a bag and I left. I went, stayed in a portable office building and, um, yeah, I don't know how long we were separated. Cause I don't really remember a block of time there. Right. But I remember a Sunday morning that, uh, for a long time, even as a kid, I felt like I, I, I should have never been born, mm. you know, and then as an adult, you know, you think in your twenties being bankrupt, um, unemployed, living on government assistance, a wife and kids who are dependent on you. And what, I mean, what are you doing? You're washing cars and cutting grass. You don't even know who you are. And that's, and I was like, man, they'd be better off if I wasn't here. And so that Sunday morning, it just felt like the walls had closed in on me and I had ran from junk as long as I could. And I was tired of fighting. I was tired of hurting, tired of living like this ain't living. That's not right. what I want to do anymore. And, um, I pulled over, I was working overtime detail in my uniform and car and all that good stuff. I pulled into a parking lot of a old abandoned gas station. They sell used cars now and, uh, back my car up to the front of the building, pull my weapon out and I paused. And I thoroughly believe that as much junk went on throughout growing up and some, so much manipulation and even in the church, um, something good came out of it that day. You know, his word will not return to him void or empty handed. And I believe that that day when I paused and I called on the name of God and I said, I don't know if you can hear me. I don't know where you're at, but if you have a reason for me to live, if you have a purpose for my life, if you've got something you want me to do, you can have my life. Otherwise I'm done. I'm tired of hurting. I believe in you because I choose to believe in you, not because anybody else is trying to get me to believe in you, but I am done. And, um, I don't know how to put this in words like from complete and utter brokenness and desperation to having a complete peace. 
I've hugged my wife and my kids and friends and family, brothers and sisters all across this country, but nothing compared to an embrace that wrapped me up in a patrol car that day. And it rocked my world. And it like, from that moment, I was like, I've got to leave this spot right here. And I've got to go tell as many people as I can about what just happened to me. Mm. Because if I can get everyone I know to encounter what I just encountered, this is going to change everything. Right. This changes everything. So, and, so, so in this, in this moment, um, you know, I, I see, we hear testimonies a lot like this and not, not, no, I'm not, I'm not, don't give me, I'm not trying to belittle your testimony. I'm saying there's this moment in our lives a lot of times where yeah. we kind of call it the Damascus road experience. And sometimes I think for a lot of people, it's the, it's the rock bottom that, um, they had to get to in order to see Jesus. You know, a lot of times when we're on our butts or we're on our back and we're, we're laying down in the muck and the mire. And, and it, even if it's just mentally and spiritually, the only place that you have to go is up. And the yeah. moment that you reach up, there's always someone there, which is Jesus to help you get out of that muck and mire. And um, it breaks my heart that a lot of people don't, uh, you know, if they do get to that place, they don't, cry out to say i need help they just get to a place where they're done and um you know suicides happen from that uh addictions go you know further than they should have gone and um i i i'm encouraged by your uh moment of pausing that just said i look i meant i need something to change here i need something really quick i need something to to do that and that's what that's what jesus does um, and I love what you said that it, it wasn't, you know, like it wasn't this aha moment. It wasn't this spiritual, it wasn't a bright light. It wasn't anything. It was just a piece that you can't, you can't explain. And I really can't. Yeah. You know, yeah. And at that moment, man, it, it just, it rocked your world and changed your life. And sometimes people just need that peace. And the only place that they can find it is Jesus. That is the only place that they can find it. They're not going to find it in their money. They're not going to find it in their jobs. They're not going to find it in their spouse or their kids or the bottle or drugs or porn or anything. They're only going to find it in through Jesus. Um, and that's why, you know, we, we spend a lot of time in our ministry trying to teach people, you know, just how to, how to have a relationship with Jesus. That's what's going to change you. Amen. Nothing, nothing else is going to change you. That's gonna, that's what's going to change you. So, I just want to encourage the the people listening right now that, you know, you 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 may hit rock bottom, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be the worst place that you've ever been. But there is hope, and that is in Jesus Christ. That peace that comes from it, you know that you'll get through it. That hope that comes from it, you know that uh, this isn't the end, uh, and you yeah. need to make sure that you're you're trying to get to know Jesus as best you can. Oh, absolutely. And and I tried to fix it all on my own. I mean, that was right. the thing was I'd always tried to fix it on right. my own. And I remember one time being a little boy, I was told there was a particular area. I love to play outside. And there's a particular area I was told to stay away from. It had a guy wire running from the power pole to the ground. It was usually covered in plastic, but there was exposed cable. And the uh, first place I went was over there and I cut my arm pretty bad. And <laughs> And the uh, and it probably it needed stitches, but I knew that if I went and said something about it, that I was gonna get my tail tore up because I was playing somewhere <laughs> where I shouldn't. And so I took some paper towels and tape and I covered it up. Well, that eventually got infected and had to be treated with medicine and all this other stuff. 
uh, and a lot of times that's how we deal with all the stuff we got going on inside of us. Instead of just living in a place that's surrendered to him, we try to handle it on our own and our own strength and our own power. And we make a worse mess of it than what we would have if we just let him deal with it to start with. And, right. and, um, you know, that day, a lot of stuff changed. God healed my marriage. Um, I wasn't, you know, by no means had I arrived but the work had begun. The real work had begun. And, and I wanted to live like, that's the biggest thing. A lot of times we're, we're just getting up, we're punching a snooze button. We're going through the motions. We're going through the routines and we're still miserable as junk. I mean, we even sit in the pews on Sundays, but deep down we feel defeated. We feel like we've settled. We feel like we're average and we feel like, you know what, this is all God's got for me. And, uh, and that's, I know that, I know that feeling all too well. Um, so, so let me ask you, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So you, so let me ask you this, cause uh, what I don't want our audience to think is that all of a sudden you gave your life to the Lord and everything was perfect. Oh no. no. <laughs> you know I, so, um, you know, my, oh, my question, you know, you said everything started back with your marriage, but it wasn't overnight. It actually took no, work, no, no. correct? You know, like uh, you still had, work. you still had to fix the problems. Although you had a piece, Jesus doesn't come in and automatically just fix all your problems. It no, it never no. works like that. And I, you know, I don't want people to think that you know the moment you give your life to to the Lord, uh, everything is great because it's really it, it's almost the opposite. The moment that you start opposing um, your your morals and your your spirit and your flesh to the world, uh, the enemy wants to come in and try to, to to destroy all that. Plus, you still have to fix all the problems that you've caused um, yes. by not, either not walking with the Lord or walking in drugs or walking in alcohol or walking in depression uh, or a bad marriage. You still have to fix those things. And it took some time. Uh, right. I do I do remember that he reconciled our marriage in pretty short order. Good. Um, it still took work. I mean, I've been married right. this fall, be 23 years. It still takes work to this day. Right. Um, and I wrote a book called bulletproof marriage back at released in January of 2019. And, and I told everybody, I was like, look guys, I did not write this book because I'm an expert on marriage. I wrote from everything I've done wrong. So, you know, just, if you will make him the center of it, and if you'll work towards it, and if you'll serve your wives, if you will serve them. I remember I spent time with a an individual I will not name, but he is an absolute living American legend. Has had a movie made about his life and all this wonderful stuff. He's an incredible human being. And this person doesn't owe anyone anything. And um, and I remember him going out every morning and picking a flower for his wife and writing a letter to her. And once a year on their anniversary, he would give her a book of handwritten letters. And this is an American hero. And I thought to myself, man, what a standard. I mean, this joker has, I mean, his commitment. And then sometimes we go through the motions. We get kind of apathetic. We get lazy and then wonder why we have average marriages. Yeah. Hey, Adam, yeah. listen, dude, I know you thought that was a good idea to share what that guy had done, but stop. Doing. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is probably listening. <laughs> right? 
Yeah, yeah. So I encourage maybe just a postcard, (laughs) just a text, maybe an emoji, just to get started. (laughs) Maybe an entire book is not the answer once a year, but uh, it certainly puts things in a different perspective, especially if you're going through a hard time. Um, When you sit down and think, how does my heavenly father see her? Mm. And, or how does he even see me? You know, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we rocked on there for a little while and, and, uh, instead of drinking every night, I started writing because I couldn't really, I mean, be really blunt. I didn't want to go out and talk to the guys I worked with about what had happened because I felt like that would probably leave me ostracized pretty bad. And I'd be labeled with something that I didn't really want to be labeled with. And so I started writing every night. And then uh, the stuff in Ferguson started going down and we were getting our tails kicked. I mean, I think every cop in America had higher calls that go higher call volume. And I got home one night, the media was kind of beating cops up still. And, and I, I kind of threw my vest off and I hollered at God. And I said, who's going to help us? Who's going to speak to us? Who's going to love us? And, um, I heard this little, really still, really quiet voice that said, write a book. And I was like, you got the wrong house. This is, I am not the one. I don't have a PhD. I'm not a chaplain. I'm not a pastor. I hadn't been doing this job for 30 years. Nobody's going to listen to me. And so I wrote a little book and I self-published it and I'm not going to talk about it, but it did open the door for another book to be done. Uh, A publisher literally chased me down and gave me a deal. They'd been trying to reach me for six months, but my voicemail was full. So make sure you delete your voicemails. (laughs) And, uh, and so they gave me a book deal for one called behind the badge and it's 365 devotions for law enforcement. It's sold about 70,000 copies so far. Um, And then we did bulletproof marriage and a couple others. And I'll tell you this. One of my favorite places to go is, is to the beach and we live about an hour and a half from Panama city beach. And in father's day, 2019, we father's day four years ago this year, we went down to uh, the little place in Panama city. It's called, I think it's called inlet beach and it's public beach access, all this good stuff. And we went out and um, so I took an inner tube and I just wanted to go out about chest deep in the water and just chill. And I had my wife and three kids with it. We were all together. And so they were kind of hanging up back on the beach. And, uh, when I got out there, I noticed there was, uh, flags and they were red. And that means the water is not friendly. Stay out of right. the water. And so I looked over uh, a little bit away from me and there was this lady and her head would come up out of the water and then she'd disappear. And, uh, it did not take. Uh, an experienced investigator to deduce that she was in trouble. She was drowning and it was a rip current. And mm-hmm. so I made my way over to her. I gave her my inner tube and her husband, I later found out it was her husband. He'd came over and he was in trouble. So they took the inner tube and they went on up and uh, they made it up. And as I'm sitting there kind of hanging out of the water, watch them get up there. I was sucked out by the rip current and I'm thrashing and fighting and trying my best to get out of it. And it was, it's hard to explain what that feels like when it's the water's pulling you away. Um, and I never had any lifeguard training, but I had this little voice that said, just relax. And so I just kind of relaxed 
and let the current pull me uh, to shore. And, um, you know, I, I think what made me more angry than anything was all the people standing there with their phones recording it instead right. of somebody coming to help me. Right. And I think a lot of the stuff that I've dealt with and a lot of stuff that oh, probably a lot of men deal with or have dealt with feels a lot like that. Maybe it's finances or marriage or trauma or past experiences or whatever. It feels like it's drowning you, sucking you out and you're done. You're like, you're, you're out of the game. And all he's wanting you to do is relinquish control to him and living in a place where letting go of the control, doing what you know you're supposed to do, building the daily habits of spiritual habits and disciplines, but not, not fighting against the flow. That's contrary to what we're trained, especially as cops. I know right. you, you never quit. Um, but that's, that's sort of where the pivot came for me. And so that started, that process started more than 10 years ago and I'm still a work in progress, but, um, I know what it feels like to, to feel defeated, to feel like, you know, I'd be better off if I wasn't here. Everybody else would be better off if I wasn't here. In fact, I had a sergeant tell me that. Mm-hmm. I remember him telling me one day I went in and turned my paperwork as an investigator and he was like, Hey, do me a favor, go kill yourself. We'd all be better off if you wasn't here. Wow. And, um, so when I wrote behind the badge, I wrote it for him. Like I like he was sitting on the other side of the desk. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I don't know what, you know, I know that there's a lot of Americans that have dealt with a traumatic situation and there's a lot of people, especially, um, there's a lot of people that have dealt with, with things that they've never talked about, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's childhood stuff or, or whatever. Uh, but you don't have to carry that stuff on your own. I know there's a lot of guys, a lot of women that have done things that they never talk about. And maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't have put that in the book, but I feel like I, I did it with my wife's permission. I talked about being unfaithful and why I did it. And, and I accept the responsibility for it and to God be the glory. We're still here. Um, but taking responsibility for your actions, looking in the mirror and letting God do the work through you and in you and watching what he can do with, with the rest of it. So, uh, here we are nine books later to God be the glory that I'm still here and that he saw fit to redeem me and he loves me. And, um, I'm so grateful to be sitting here talking to you. Well, praise God, dude. That is awesome. What a great story. What a great story. And, you know, the cool thing about your stories is it's it's not over. You know, oh, you're gonna absolutely have, not. You're gonna, you're gonna add more and more to that testimony as uh, as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, and as you're out there, you know, meeting other people. Uh, you're going to uh, it's going to change your life, and you'll be impacting other people's lives as well. And it'll be a, an amazing, amazing story uh, that you'll just be able to keep adding on to uh, big time. So you and your wife are, um, you're 23 years married, and you've gone through the, the trials and tribulations of, uh, of adultery and uh, just the, 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 the depression that you went through. Um, how is she how is she now? I know that you, you got her permission and all of that kind of stuff, but as you keep sharing these stories, like where is she with her walk with God? Uh, obviously it has to be stellar uh, to an extent <laughs> to deal with me. Yeah. yeah to, to, to be able to do this. And uh, Listen, yeah, man, and so I'll tell where, you, where is she? I think God, house? God puts people in our life. Um, to show us what love is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like what real love is. And, and, you know, she does not want to be in a spotlight. She doesn't want to be, I mean, I mentioned her on Huckabee the other night when I did the show on TBN and she was sitting there watching it with me last night. And I said something, it was funny. And she said, Adam Davis, she said, I'll, you know, she went off, but she was, being, <laughs> she was lighthearted about it. She wasn't upset. Uh, but no, she has, um, she is my discerner. She is, mm-hmm. she has gotten like my, she's got my back literally. And, um, if something doesn't feel right or whatever, then she's like, letting me know, but, um, God sent somebody to show me what perfect love looks like. And, but now it has required a tremendous amount of work on my part. Right. And, um, to be open, to be transparent, to communicate, to learn how to communicate, which I'm still learning how to do. Uh, and I'll probably be learning that until I'm go home to glory, but, um, no, her her walk with God is is um, it's different than mine, but it's right. it's stellar. I mean, she is she's got a faith that is really like really special. Um, she is my secret weapon. She is by far my secret right. because I could I couldn't do what I'm doing right here talking to you if I didn't have her support. I couldn't travel right. across the country without her support. Does she get to go with me all the time? Absolutely not. But she has got, like, I have her 100% backing and support. And I think more than anything that hurts even more than what happened to me is what I've done to people that love me so much. Right. And uh, that includes her. And, uh, I remember one of the calls I had as a cop, uh, was a, just a traffic collision. And one of the guys that was in the traffic, uh, accident was a world war II veteran. And so I handled my business and I finished, uh, you know, my work. And I was like, sir, before, before I leave you, I just want to honor you and tell you, thank you. Mm. Because, I'm able to stand here today doing this work because of your generation. Is there anything that you could tell me before we leave um, that I could pass on that I could take on with me in, in my life? And he told me this short, I'll make it really brief, but he told me this story of, uh, I'll probably mess up the name battle of Peleliu. Uh, it was an Island in the Pacific during world war two and the United States wanted to take this Island, which was occupied by thousands of Japanese um soldiers and they wanted to the united states wanted to take this island and use it as a strategic airstrip to attack the empire of japan Mm. and there were some disagreements among military leaders as to how to go about taking this island how long it would take um and they estimated it would take three or four days i think they said four days and it wound up taking three months there were six thousand marine casualties Uh, i believe there's like sixteen thousand japanese soldiers killed or something around that. But what happened was afterwards, there were tens of thousands of undetonated explosives that remained. And to this day, if you go to this island as a tourist, you have to stay on this designated path because you may come upon an undetonated explosive. And he said, if you're not careful, you're going to go through life. And if you don't deal with stuff, they're just going to one day go off and hurt people around you that have never done anything to you. Mm. And they said, deal with the stuff. 
deal with the undetonated explosives, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, whatever it is. Um, and, and that really like, it didn't sink in right then, but I thought about it and I thought about it and thought about it. And man, that was really profound. Mm, that's and, good. and I saw, I wrote about it in my book and, and talked about it a little bit. And, and I think for me, that's like, it is a miracle. I went, I talked to the very, for the first time in my life in 21, January, February 21, Amber came to me and she said, I need you to do me a favor. And the first thing I thought was I'd forgotten uh, some type of honeydew that I was supposed to do. <laughs> um, but right. she said, I, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to talk to somebody. She said, this whole I'm not good enough thing is wreaking havoc on your life and you don't even see it. Mm. And I didn't understand, like, but the least I could do was like, okay, I'll do it. I'll practice what I preach. And so I called a buddy of mine and he got me in touch with a lady who was a, a Christian trauma therapist and just so happened specialized in uh, childhood uh, trauma mm. and something called EMDR, which is eye motion desensitization reprogram or something along those lines. It's good stuff. And, um, and so we were talking through all the things that happened. And, and I remember her wanting me to put a color and a shape on this stuff and feeling and what it made, what I felt. And it was just absolute, like soul paralyzing, just terror, just pure, unadulterated fear. And, um, and so we went back in we were doing this work and, um, I remember the Holy spirit speaking to me in that moment and said, okay, we got to deal with this. Let's do it together. I've got your back. Mm. And, and, and I turned the, the, the offer the publisher gave me for this book. I told him, no, uh, going through this process, I told him, no, and it was fear. And so right. I've learned that some of the, some of the worst decisions I've ever made were because of fear. And some of the best decisions that I didn't make or were delayed in making were because of fear. And sometimes we don't want to look at it. Like, you know, we, we don't want to call it fear. It's something else, but it's fear. And, um, that, that whole not feeling good enough thing can destroy you from the inside out if you, if you let it. But, uh, yeah, it took me a long time to get to where I'm at, but it is by the grace of God, as that therapist said, it is a testament to God's faithfulness that he preserves you through all this because most people would, uh, be really bad addicts. Uh, they'd be, you know, psychopaths or something worse, uh, but God preserved you through it all. And so I give him all the glory. Mm, praise God. Praise God. Awesome. You got any questions about his testimony? No, I was just going to say, I'm getting ready to, uh, I'm getting ready to start that eye therapy stuff. Dude, it is awesome. That with a rock your world. I'm going to. I don't know yeah. what the, I don't know what the trauma is, but it's got something to do with my childhood. So yeah. it's not like, uh, it's not like sexual abuse or any way, but it's, it's the household, mm. how the household was, what I was or was not getting from my mom and dad. That's, yeah. that's, that's given me that, um, that's given me that thing you just talked about with, I'm, I'm hard on myself. I, I, you know, it's either pass or fail, you know, and yeah. I've only been married. I've only been married again now for seven years to a Christian woman. It's, it has, it had really affected my marriage, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here before you today and I'm struggling. I got you. I got you. Uh, person, the best thing you'll ever do is, is yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not anything in my marriage. Yeah, 
that that's that it's it's me. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling. Yeah. I'm struggling right now with me. Read my Bible every day, still struggling with me. And I know it's I know it's something God's doing in my life. Mm-hmm. But so I'm getting ready to start this mm-hmm. uh, next actually next Saturday. It's gonna rock your world, bro. And that's why I've been so si- <laughs> that's why I've been so silent tonight because there's there's as soon as I started reading this, I'm like, oh crap, I shouldn't have come tonight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's called you Providence. You ever felt like you're yeah. like that? Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh hell. It's called Listen, Pro- 20, you know, Providence. In, in 2015, yeah. I got up on a Sunday morning. I'm going somewhere with this, so hang with me. Um, in 2015, I got up on it's in September, I want to say like 27th or something. I can't remember exactly. I got up and and I've been praying, God, what do you want? You want me to keep doing what I'm doing? Because I love policing, I loved it. And right. I'd applied for some federal positions and different things. And and uh I'd written a book and self-published it, and man, people were calling me and it was doing incredible stuff. And if you read it now, you'd be like, Whoa, that was really God using that because this sucks. <laughs> this is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so people were asking me to come and speak, and there's only 24 hours in the day. I got up on a Sunday morning, that same little voice that spoke to me in the patrol car, uh, that one ministered to me and kind of led me along the way was like all it said was today's the day. And I knew exactly what it meant. And I had tears running down my face as I went and filled out the paperwork and turned in my resignation. And in 20, late 20, I guess it was early 2017, I'd been talking, um, but I left with zero safety net. I do not recommend this journey. Uh, It is not for the faint of heart, Um, but I left law enforcement with no safety net and God began to bless me almost immediately. And the fruit was, I mean, you can't deny what he's done, Um, but he blessed me with multiple book deals one three one one deal was three books with a guy named lieutenant colonel dave grossman very well respected uh trainer and instructor in in military and law enforcement um but like i was making like two grand a month as a cop i think my best year was i averaged 55 hours i did roughly 45 grand that year and my wife's been homeschooling our, our kids for a long time now and he almost tripled my income in the first month being out you know, a little marketing business on the side and then traveling, speak and books and things. Um, and I have always kind of like wanted to be in control. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have that control, then I have a lot of anxiety, but learning like when I wrote this, this latest book, I wrote something called the unconquered code and the unconquered code is essentially 10 things that God has used to preserve me through some of the worst stuff you could think of. And one of those things was surrender, the significance of surrender, surrendering to him every single day and knowing that if I have a standard that I put on myself, then I'm creating a man-made standard instead of adhering to the standard that he's given me because he is the standard. And you can't be good enough because I've tried. Lord knows I did an interview with the 700 club on CBN several years ago. Well, I tried to live up to the rules. I remember the membership card I signed in church at 13 
that said, you're going to be a member of this church, but you cannot listen to rock and roll. You can't go to movies. You can't dance. And I'm like, this sucks. Why would anybody <laughs> want to do this? You know? And so I know what it feels like to live, try to live up to these rules and regulations and standards. And you can't be good enough. You can't be good. You can never be good enough. You're never going to be good enough except for Jesus. Because here's how, here's how I see it. I see it like this. I see that the moment that I surrendered my heart to him and he became Lord of my life, he became my redeemer. My heavenly father no longer sees the sin in me. He sees me through the lens of what his son has done for me. And that becomes the standard. And so living in a place of surrender, walking in forgiveness, forgiveness is the first step in the journey of healing. It doesn't matter if it's your marriage, if it's in you, it doesn't matter what it is. That's hard to do, but I'm going to tell you something. What's easy is not always good. You can go and eat fast food every single meal, every single day for the next 20 years because of its convenience, but it's eventually going to kill you. So it's easy to not forgive and it's easy to hate. It requires work to love and it requires work to forgive and it requires work to surrender. But if you'll do those things, you walk in freedom, you'll walk in purpose and you walk in power and you'll walk out what it's called you to do. Um, two dreams I had right before I left law enforcement. Two dreams. One, and they stick with me like to this day. So if you see me running like my head's on fire, this is why. The first one, I was laying in a casket. And I could still hear, but it was just like murmurs of people around me talking. And I had that smell of a funeral home chapel. Like, I think they all smell the same. And, and all of a sudden, this snap of fingers that sounded like thunder went, bam. And this voice said, did you do what I created you to do? Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, panicking as, as a dead man. <laughs> like, I can't change anything. Oh my, what am I like? I'm, I'm in trouble. And then I woke up mm. and I still didn't change anything. And then the next dream, I guess it was a month or so later. I don't remember exactly, but I had a second dream following that. And I was in a casket and they were loading me into the ground and I could hear the dirt being thrown on top of the box. And again, that finger snapped, bam. And that voice said, did you do what I created you to do? And so that's my question to you today, whether you're good enough or not, are you doing what he created you to do? And if you're a husband, your first created purpose is to lead her in a closer walk with him. If right. your father is to lead your children and to prepare them to be victorious followers of Jesus in a world that's going to hell faster than you could. Well, fast. <laughs> and, um, uh, and beyond that, it really doesn't matter how you do it to love him and to love others and to take the gospel into every relationship that you encounter. But the main one is if you have a family, it mm -hmm. starts there, period. Go home and put a white towel over your arm. Serve your wife. The Bible says men love your husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. I interpret that to mean, number one, serve her. A lot of times we want to get that the other way around. If we serve our wives, it breaks off the yokes that have been put on us by the mundane. 
if you will go home and serve her, here's what I mean. I, I'm not, I'm not saying be like less than like be demasculinized or whatever. Um, but go home, like help do something, have a conversation. Sometimes that's hard to do, especially if you're exhausted mentally, um, help in the kitchen, have a conversation, be present, um, ask her, just be present and be with her and serve her, whether it's cook a meal or clean up or work in the yard or do a honeydew or whatever, just doing that and learn to pray together, study the Bible together, simple stuff, doing life together, share, be vulnerable together. There is no intimacy without being vulnerable together. And, um, and that's how he, that's how he changed me was like, if you'd have known me 10 years ago, man, you would see the miracle that's sitting before you because I was, I was on a dead end path to death and destruction and, and I put myself on it. And so, but, um, being hard on yourself, it's like, I was talking to a guy, he's a, a cop. I was talking to him here a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about forgiving himself and he's a, he's a, a brother in Christ. And I'm like, do you believe God has forgiven you? Yeah. And I said, so you look in the mirror and you say you can't forgive yourself. And I'm saying this because I've been here or been in that position. I say, yeah. So you're telling me that him forgiving you is not enough. So you're going to try to squeeze in next to him on the throne and play God. Because if he's forgiven you, who are you to withhold forgiveness? Right. There's only one room on the throne. There's only seat for one, and it's him, not us. Amen. And so when we choose to not forgive, we're trying to play the role of God. We talk about our trauma more than we talk about the healer. We make an idol out of it. When we talk about our past more than we talk about the one who's redeemed us, we make an idol out of it. When we talk about the sin or my whatever, we make an idol out of the things that he's come to set us free from. And so surrender, live open hands, live with open hearts and let him take the rest and do something with it. Amen. Praise God. That's a good word there. That's a really good word. I hope, hope people were listening to that. That was good. Me too. <laughs> that was good. So let's talk, uh, let's talk about your book. I know yes, I mean, sir. You've, been, you've been sprinkling it through there just a little bit through your testimony and stuff, but so how did you get this? Um, so, so how did this, the, the book start? Um, you know, what, what kind of, uh, initiated the, the sitting down and writing it? What were your, th- what was your thought process? And then how did you get pen to paper on that? Yeah. Uh, Ben, I think you said something earlier, something to the effect of like, I know what I'm like, I, I don't read my Bible. Like I'm supposed to, I don't, you know, I get that. Um, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't always do it. And that's kind of sort of how this started. <laughs> it was like, I know I need to do this, but I really don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just being straight up. I've, sh- I've shared this message from unconquered from platforms of churches in casinos, uh, in front of a thousand or more people, um, conferences, you name it, retreats, whatever. And I can share it and I can walk off because I know I'm probably never going to talk to these people again. Mm-hmm. But for years, I wanted to do this. Like, I wanted to write this story. Right. But when I, when I actually started to write it, and when the, or when the publisher gave me the deal, I was like, man, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I, 
I, like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is going to require a lot from me. Like I've, I'm sharing a lot of me with a lot of people and I don't know that I want to do this. And, um, so I'd gone and I'd been sharing this message in a very abbreviated form across the country. And I had an opportunity to speak at Harris casino in Atlantic city, New Jersey in, uh, the fall of 21. And I got up and I started And the title of my talk was called sheepdog unconquered. And, um, and I shared my talk and I stood up there and they were like, Hey, no religious stuff here. Okay. And I, and I acknowledged them and I shared my unconquered message. And then at the very end of it, I said, I'm standing here today because of a man named Jesus. He set me free. And if you want to learn more, come see me in the back by the book table. And so all these people come up, these cops were asking, Hey, where's this book unconquered? I'm like, what are you talking about? I haven't even mentioned a book unconquered. And, um, and so for seven hours, I ministered to law enforcement officers one-on-one because of that testimony, mm. seven hours I ministered. And, um, I know what it feels like to preach a sermon on a Sunday or to give a keynote. And I know how tiring that can be. Um, but seven hours was like, I was a wet rag doll. I was done. I can imagine. Yeah. And, and then two weeks later, I had gone up to Columbus, Ohio to speak. Uh, at a for an organization called First Responders Bridge, I speak for them three or four times a year. Great, great, great people, and they bring in first responders and their spouses that have been through some kind of stuff and trauma, whatever, and and it's hard stuff to deal with. And these two ladies were there that night, and they were there as a, a potential donors, I believe, or or guests or something. I forget. Um, and these ladies come up after I finished speaking to my book table and I was signing books. So I still had a Sharpie in my left hand and, and they're like, we loved what you did. We want to buy every book you've got, but where's the book unconquered. Hmm. And I'm like, I put the Sharpie down. I'm like, I ain't read it yet. And she said, why not? And I just looked at it. I'm like, fear. Hmm. She said, you're an idiot. Write the book. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, ma'am. And so I went to my publisher. Uh, so this has been rocking on six or eight months, I guess, at this point, nine months nearly. Yeah, nine, nine months since I told the publisher no. So I contacted the publisher, the CEO, that Monday morning, went hat in hand. And by Monday afternoon, I had the contract signed. Um, but the, the, the title came about sitting around a bonfire with my wife. Uh, one of my brothers and his wife brother was uh, former sheriff's deputy, been in some uh, officer involved shootings and different things. And we were talking about my story and some things that were going on at the time. And, uh, and I was like, you know, I, I just, I don't get this. It's just one battle after another. And she was like my sister-in-law. She said, you know, what comes to mind when I think about your testimony, she said, Semper Invictus always undefeated. Mm. And I'm like, but I'm not. Do you know what I've dealt with and struggled with? Like you don't, like you don't know. And uh, and then I started thinking about it. He said, Romans eight thirty seven, you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. So when you live and surrender to Him, you never lose. Hopefully, you learn. Hopefully, I've learned but you never lose. Okay. So your life is cut short. 
you spend eternity with the Redeemer, with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Alpha and the Omega. You get to spend eternity with him. How will you be remembered? Are you going to be remembered as somebody who quit, who hung his head in defeat every time he walked out? Mm. Are you going to throw your shoulders back and your head back, not because of who you are, but whose you are, who you belong to, who's redeemed you? And so that's how it came about. And uh, the sweet, 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 sweet ladies that said, you're an idiot, write the book. (laughs) And um, and and I'll tell you, I was writing the book. Uh, I started November 5th of 21, and uh, it was uh, due to the publisher March 1st of 2022. And in January, I'm sitting here writing it, and it just felt like the daggum Adam Davis show. And that is not what I wanted. And uh, the Lord reminded me of these 10 principles. And so, oddly enough, everything else was put together. I just had to do a little reshaping, but that became the structure of the book was writing around those 10 principles. Mm. And um, I was blessed by some other great uh, men to be able to share their story. One is uh, Marcus Luttrell. He's a former U.S. Navy SEAL. They made a movie about him. He had a book called Lone Survivor. Uh, he's a dear friend. I'm blessed to know him. Um, uh, this gentleman out of Texas named Houston Gass, who was an Amarillo, Texas police officer who was uh, shot point blank in the face by a felon uh, with a shotgun, and, and Houston lived to tell about it. Uh, wow. An incredible, incredible testimony. So when I start the last chapter, principle number 10, an uncommon resolve, I talk about Houston's story with his, with his permission, uh, because I believe that it requires an uncommon resolve to, as Houston says, eat shotgun shells for breakfast and live on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, most of us, wow. the hardest thing we're going to face is discomfort. Right. That's the hardest thing most of us are going to face, but our addiction to comfort is keeping us from walking in the fullness of what he's called us to, whether that means taking care of your body, be, you know, getting in, getting in better shape, taking care of your physical body, uh, taking care of your mind, taking care of your soul. You know, we can take care of the body and the physical body and our mind all we want, but if we don't address the soul first, it's like that foundation on sand. It's not going to last. It's not going to stand. And, um, and so Houston's got an incredibly powerful story. I talk about the four, um, degrees of relational power, having people in your life, that are going to inspire you, challenge you, call you out on your junk, healthy relationships versus toxic relationships. Um, yeah. So significance of surrender is, is probably the hardest thing to write about because it's the hardest thing to do, but it's probably the most fruitful thing that we could do. Uh, as men, uh, or, or, or anybody, but for, for us, this is hard to do because we're conditioned to fight and never quit. But he says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he'll flee. It's hard to submit without surrendering. Right. And, uh, he's got victory for you and a victory that awaits and a breakthrough that awaits on the other side of forgiveness and surrender that you can't even fathom. Mm, that's good brother so can you can you give us the 10 or do you want people to buy oh yeah yeah shoot you man i'll give you the 10 absolutely just give us the 10 you know don't give us the 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 meat into it but just what are the (laughs) 10 codes that you have so people will just kind of look at that and and get into it i'll i'll give you this ahead of time this is um this was the 
the opposite. These are the undetonated explosives in a okay. nutshell, right? This is before okay. the 10. Ignoring the pain. Okay. Refusing to surrender. Living in the past. Refusing to forgive. Emotions gone wild. Doing things your way. Toxic relationships. The lost wanderer. You're always trying to find your way. The know-it-all. Or the one who quits before you start. And so... um, and at one point, I was all of those. So here's the 10. Here's the, uh, I call this the unconquered code. Acknowledge the pain. Ignoring it doesn't make it disappear. Seek the heavenly healer. Number two, recognize you are in control of yourself and that you are in control of no one else. Meaning, you are responsible for how you respond to adversity. You cannot control what other people have done. Number three, live in the present, hope for the future, and learn from the past. After I wrote that, I learned that uh, Albert Einstein actually said that first. So mm. I'm in good company. Number four, discover. <laughs> he just wasn't a redneck. Number four, discover freedom and forgiveness. It's not for the offender. It's for you. Number five, take captive your emotions and align them with the truth of God's word. Number six, experience true power through daily surrender to Christ. Number seven, cherish your healthy relationships and distance yourself from toxic relationships. Number eight, seek to, seek to know your divine and unique purpose in life and, and the direction God is leading you to take. Number nine, accept responsibility for creating healthy daily habits in your life. Number 10, resolve at this moment that no pain, no sin, no mistake, nothing of this world will defeat you. Your declaration becomes, I am unconquered. In Christ I live, in him I die. I live unconquered, I die unconquered. And that's the unconquered Amen. code. Amen. What a, what a great code. That is awesome, dude. That is great. All right, so we have an opportunity to give a book away. Let's do uh, it right here. So, okay, we're going to give that. That will come signed. Can we get it signed, Adam? Absolutely. All right, so he will sign it. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put this on the um, uh, on the uh, chat uh, that we have going on right now. And here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm posting it right now. The first one to send me an email to info at manupgodsway.org with uh, your name and address will get a free book. So man, it's info at manupgodsway.org. I don't think I put that in the chat. I screwed that up. So uh, <laughs> if you're listening, first one to send us an email to info at manupgodsway.org with your name and address will get a free book. And so we'll be looking for that email to come across here and get that to you. So Adam, with, with the book, um, yeah. obviously you do coaching as well. So you do coaching. I think I saw that on your website as well that you're yes. doing coaching um, that goes along. Most likely is this with the unconquered book is kind of where you're headed with that. Essentially through the same principles. I just, we dive a lot deeper um, Okay, and we obviously want to move on from, from some things, but some take a little bit more time than others. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. But I, I, I really enjoy doing the, you know, they sometimes last about 90 minutes doing these breakthrough calls and I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. Um, it's just using the experience that, that I've had and listening to the voice of my father and, right. and adhering to the word of God. 
and leading people through some really, 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 really dark stuff and getting to the root of what they initially bring to the table and finding out sometimes it's a lot different than what they brought. Right. That's good. That's good. So if you were to like, give us, give us one, what, what, what would be the big reason for somebody to get your book? Like what is, who's, who's needing this book in your minds, in your mind? Yeah. Well, um, I know that there's about 232 million people in America that have dealt with, uh, experienced some type of trauma. Now, not all, not all trauma leads to post-traumatic stress. Right. And all, not all trauma is the big T trauma. Some of it's a little T trauma, like you hit a dog. Right. You know, I'm not going to have to come see a pastor for counseling on that. I'll be a little upset. I'll be honest with you, but I'll probably be more mad at the dog for being on the road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, um, but it's different than if, if you're in a restaurant and there's a shooting, um, or if you're 47 years old and you've been a good husband, but you've never dealt with the unforgiveness of what happened to you as a little boy. Right. Um, or if you're a woman and you never dealt with what happened to you as a child uh, or a teenager. Um, but I think really anybody, look, the past couple of years have kind of sucked. Right. Uh, 2020 sucked really bad. Uh, 21 was a little bit better, but I think we all need a little bit of uh, a little bit of juice to help us get back on track. Right. And this is going to give you some, some, some things that you can do to reestablish some disciplines in your life, some daily habits and to make you reflect. Um, if there's anything at all that needs to be addressed, that's holding you back from living the life that he came for us to have the life to the fullest. Um, for me, I wrote this for five-year-old me because mm. Here's what I know. Jesus told us like he didn't him haul around. He was like in this world. He didn't say you might have, or it could possibly be. He said, you will have trouble, right? But take heart, overcome the world. And so I wanted to give myself a manual, like not that I take away from God's word at all, but I wanted to go to my younger self and say, okay, this is what you're going to have to go through, but here's how to beat it. Here's how you can beat it. Here's how you can overcome it. And here's some things that you may be dealing with that you can overcome. And here's some things to avoid. Uh, learn from learn from what I've done wrong and don't do that. Learn how I sort of found my way out of the pit and how I found victory and freedom and what God's doing today. Um, it'll help you. It'll help you identify some healthy relationships. Um, maybe it's a friendship that needs to be cut off. Maybe it's a friendship that you need to be more invested in. Uh, I think we got to do a better job of being brothers. Right. Um, we have an entire generation that doesn't know what it means to be a son. And how can we have men rise up to walk in the sonship of the heavenly father? If they don't know what it means to be a son. Right. And so I think it's really good for men, for teenagers, um, 
I really think it's good for men, but there's a lot of women that have read this book already. So I don't want to discount them. I appreciate them reading right. it too. Yeah, um, exactly. And so, uh, but I talk about some, some really practical things like uh, box breathing, which is old. It's, it's not anything new. It's been used by special forces, by Navy SEALs. It was called tactical breathing when I was an officer survival training. Um, and it teaches you how to sort of bring yourself back down to baseline um, and it conditions you, you practice it every single day. And if you are in a traumatic incident, you can keep your focus on something, you know, you don't lose things like fine motor skills or gross motor skills and things of that nature, um, or going to what we call code black, which is a psychological state where, um, you can't even focus because you're so in a tizzy, right. um, and it keeps you on the straight and narrow. So, you know, I would target this to men, um, you know, I, I, of course, I write it for law enforcement, but it's really for any man uh, that wants to elevate their standard of living from, man, I feel defeated or just being mundane, average, get through, get by, same thing over and over to, man, there's got to be a better way. And there is. He right. called us more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Jesus said, and, you know, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come to give you life and life to the fullest. And how can we have that life to the fullest if we're trying to, still trying to carry something that he's already paid the price for? And he said, come give it to me. Praise and God. so it's a tall order, but if you'll read it and implement it, um, it'll rock your world. I know it did mine. And I wrote it. Amen. <laughs> Amen, brother. Well, great. Well, we do have a winner for the uh, book. Oh, sweet. Uh, we've got a book. So this just happens to be one of my brothers from another mother. It's Pastor Lawrence Peoples. Um, he is the pastor at Going Hard for Christ Church in Oklahoma. Um, and um, and uh, I I loved this guy for a long time. He was like, he was texting me. He's like, hey, what's that email? What's that email? I need this book. <laughs> Uh, he got that. He got that. He got that email in to us. Thank you, uh, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. So he's a uh, he's amazing. He's out of Tulsa, and so he was a he was with a really good uh, buddy of mine and with his church for a long time, and uh, he uh, uh, he's just man. He's just got a great great love of God. Uh, it's just crazy how, how, how that's awesome. It is can't so, wait to get it to him. This will be good. So yeah, Pastor Lawrence Peoples. Uh, going hard for Christ Church. Um, he's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we'll send you all the information there uh, for him as well. And then uh, we'll um, we'll help you promote this. We want to get that on our website. We'll make sure that we'll get uh, you know some people on there and um, get people to uh, to get to your website. And we've already put that on our chat. And uh, looking forward to seeing what God can can do. So what do you have coming up next? Where? I, oh man. What's, what's going on next? I, I just finished a weekend and uh, I did four shows in Nashville Friday, including uh, one on TBN uh, with former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee. So we did the Huckabee show Friday night. And that was a lot of fun. It aired Saturday and Sunday night and uh, getting ready to head to Salt Lake City, Utah to speak to a group up there of uh, law enforcement. And then uh, we have on the schedule for Father the Friday of Father's Day weekend, live from New York City, will be Good Morning America. Praise uh, God, brother. Which would be a lot of fun. And uh, I've had a ton of speaking requests come in this weekend for some churches down in Florida and 
some out in LA, uh, some up in Wyoming, which would be beautiful to visit. Um, and then I've got Columbus, Ohio, and I, there's several others that I have probably not mentioned. So if y'all are listening, I love you and I'll see you soon. I just don't know where I'm going yet. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Dude. Uh, but working on another book, I'm, you know, I'm, um, I've got a version, a different version of this, um, of unconquered that I want to do. And so I'm waiting to, I'm working on that. And then another uh, daily devotion that I'm working on and we'll see which way it goes. I want to, I want to do an unconquered 365 for men, uh, that really dives into the meat and helps establish some of those things. Two questions I get more often than any others is number one, how do I read the Bible and how do I pray? And, and teaching people how to do those things is, like we need to be doing some really rapid fire training because time is short. This is a season that requires some people that have some wisdom under the belt and that have courage. You know, I know that revelation tells us that cowards will not inherit the kingdom and they're classified in the same categories as sexually moral, the thief, the murderers, you name it. And this requires some men and women of courage to stand up and push back against darkness in this world. Uh, we know there's an enemy but there's also a body of Christ and it is time to shake out of your slumber and wake up and we can't Amen. grow unless we shake off the stuff from the past. So let's get it. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, man, it's been a blessing to have you on here tonight. Oh man. Thank you. You did a great job. Great testimony. Um, can't wait to read the book. I've read the, the excerpts from it, but uh, I'm going to get a copy from you and, and uh, get finished or get that read. So I'm looking forward to it. So, brother Ben, thanks, brother. Yeah, you're awful quiet, that. man. Nice. Yeah, I was you, just listening. You're awful quiet tonight. Yeah, I'm so. Thank you, ben. you, yep. you got to know Ben. Thanks, that's Adam. that's not normally Ben. So he and I are getting we have a a talk here. <laughs> I've been praying for that brother, man. I'm excited for what God's going to do in his life. He keeps rocking his world and uh, moving and grooving him. So, but uh, Adam, thank you again thank for you, all brother. you're doing. Keep it up. Keep your head up. Stay. Um, uh, stay on point and finish well. Thank you. I appreciate y'all. All right. Well, God bless you guys. We will see you guys again next Monday night. And you've been listening to the man up God's way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org.